As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. I've been wanting to do this show for a while, but uh, it took it took some time and just a lot of other priorities, but now it's the time. And, uh, I got, I got my man Spencer co-hosting it with me and helping me out. Uh, so he makes it possible. And, uh, this is now the third installment of our regular series. So thanks for, uh, for being an early guest. I'm thrilled to, thrilled to be part of it. Happy to get cosmic on Bitcoin anytime. Wednesday awesome. afternoons is good. Yeah, Tom, we're really excited to have you here, man. I don't believe we've spoken before, but I uh, really looking forward to this and just wanted to say, but really enjoyed your work too. I, I really enjoyed just your creativity and uh, earnestness as well. I find you to be like a very curious and uh, intellectual person. So really looking forward to picking your brain. Thank you. Oh, look, I'm looking forward to the discussion as well. Thank you for the kind words. So yeah, and now that it's three o'clock uh, Pacific, six o'clock Eastern, I'll just jump in with a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, this is Cosmic Bitcoin. We uh, get together, Spencer and I, every single Wednesday at 3 Pacific, 6 o'clock Eastern. Uh, and we try to talk to some of the big picture thinkers in the space. Uh, there's a lot of great Bitcoiners um, in the space that are, you know, kind of going through some big ideas about what Bitcoin does to society and humanity. And we try to pick their brains on, you know, what what that looks like. Uh, Bitcoin is really a change to what uh, society has been built on historically, uh, and it's really difficult to uh, even begin to start thinking about uh, what Bitcoin looks like. Uh, so that's what the the purpose of this show is. I'm uh, really excited to hang down with Tomer, one of the biggest thinkers out there. Uh, before we get into the show, uh, I need to invite every single person who's listening uh, to the show to the Bitcoin conference uh, this upcoming in May the 20th uh, in Bitcoin 2023, the biggest event in Bitcoin history uh, was Bitcoin 2022, and we are running it back once again, uh, and we are coming out of the bear market uh, and coming out of Bitcoin which this and buying out in Miami uh, with a bunch of amazing Bitcoiners in person. Uh, I've been calling it Bitcoin Twitter in real life. It's definitely Bitcoin Mastodon, Bitcoin Noster in real life as well. Uh, but you know, all the Bitcoiners out there that are building this network, we're bringing in as many of them as possible in Miami. So uh, don't miss out on it. I believe that we have a special New Year's promo 
that is uh, NYE uh, 15. Is that correct, Spencer? NYE 15 for for 15% off ticket. Uh, so get your GA pass, get your industry pass, get your whale pass, whatever fits your price range. And be in Miami. This is the best way to interact with and get in touch with the Bitcoin ecosystem. I know plenty of people who've created companies, gotten jobs at the Bitcoin conference. Not going to want to miss it. Bitcoiners are best in person. And uh, there's no better way to cosmic uh, over a beer, over a coffee with your favorite Bitcoiners in person. So uh, with that, I will pass it over to you, Spencer, to introduce Tomer. Awesome. Thanks, CK. Yeah, so I figure most people in the audience will know Tomer, but I just kind of wanted to give a bit of your background, Tomer, to those listening. And please correct me if I, if I miss anything here, but uh, Tomer is the former president and founding member of Torstar Digital. Uh, they specialize in digital media and business, and holdings of theirs included the Toronto Star. And Tomer was also previously the chief technology officer for Workopolis, a Canadian job search engine. Uh, he specialized in migrating from... Uh, migrating over to cloud-based computing technologies for them. Um, as well, Tomer was president for the Institute for Human Health and Human Potential. Uh, he led science-based emotional intelligence training for people who bought their products. Um, and as well, Tomer is author of Why Bitcoin. Highly ever recommend everyone check that out. And Tomer is the editor-in-chief for Swan Bitcoin. Uh, they're doing great work over there, and Tomer's been a big part of their operation. Um, and so without further ado, I'll just say Tomer is a, a Bitcoiner, technologist, poet, writer, thinker, listener, and someone who's really displayed a depth and fervor of curiosity in trying to understand Bitcoin and its packs upon individuals and also the world at large. Um, and so Tomer, again, thank you so much for coming on today. We're really looking forward to diving into some of your writing. But before we jump in, I just wanted to ask you, like, when you were growing up, like, did you see yourself as somebody who would be interested in money or technology and kind of in that vein, like, what mm -hmm. did you want to do as a child? And, and what do you think, like, young Tomer would say today if he saw, you know, what you've grown to be? Yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm 52 now. The computer only came around when I was 13. So when I was a little child, there wasn't even such a thing as technology. You know, an IBM typewriter might have been the hot thing. I, I, re I remember wanting to be like a TV talk show host, which I guess I can now by starting my own Twitter spaces. Uh, and I, I, and later on when I was in university, I actually wanted to be a sci, I was a voracious sci-fi reader. And so I wanted to be a sci-fi writer, but I studied business and ended up in the money industry, um, in making money for, uh, for a long time, a lot, a large part of my life for like 25, 30 years. And then, uh, and then in the last couple of years, uh, turned back and decided to be a writer when I'd had it with being a businessman. Very cool. Yeah, I can definitely see the influence that sci-fi had on you. And I would also be curious uh, if there's any like sci-fi works that you might recommend to the audience or any that have been influential for you. Uh, yeah, I think that there's quite, there's quite a few. I've actually been doing a, a podcast with, uh, with a couple of other guys every few months where we discuss a different science fiction book in the context of Bitcoin. We've already discussed Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land. We just did Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Very, like, I'm saying, if you think you live in a clown world, that book shows you you live in a clown galaxy. A great, a great sci-fi book that's very Bitcoiny. And Isaac Asimov's Foundation, the book or the audio book, not the TV adaptation, is also like a, another extremely Bitcoinish. Like all these things came out before Bitcoin, and you're not going to see. Uh, 
digital currency in them, but you're going to see a lot of the principles of inevitability or, or stupidity um, or just an understanding of how human nature uh, leads one thing to another in those books. So those are among my favorites. I, I could go on for hours, though. I'm such a big sci-fi fan, but I won't. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I definitely agree. Uh, Foundation is just such a wild read. Definitely saw a lot of parallels between that and Bitcoin. Um, but before we kind of get uh, a bit more cosmic, I just wanted to get a sense of like how your journey to Bitcoin was. Um, was there any like aha moment for you or was it more of like kind of a slow burn as you understood the technology more and more? Um, yeah, I'd just be curious to hear like how you navigated moving from like digital media into this this kind of frontiers land uh, sure. that is Bitcoin. Yeah, um, I was introduced to Bitcoin back in 2013 by a friend who was doing his PhD in computer science. And I was... I was doing private equity at the time, so I was in, I was looking for things to invest in, and uh, and this just struck me as so different than anything else. Like r- right away, it was uh, this is either going to be worth nothing or all the money in the world, and and then I started doing the math on well, if it's all the money in the world, you know, I should I should have beat Canute to that in, everything in the world divided by twenty one million. What would it be? Because I've been thinking about that for a long time. But it was, in a sense, a slow burn because I'm like 10 years into it now. I'm still having aha moments all the time. I just feel like I'm going deeper and deeper into that rabbit hole. And I can, I can think of quite a few of these moments where like my stomach dropped and it's like, oh my God, this is true about Bitcoin. And, and often when you have one of those insights, it's like, and it's not true about anything else on there. So it's another thing that makes Bitcoin extremely unique. And uh and, and I think that's what's driven a lot of my curiosity. It's like, here's something, the likes of which we've never seen before. Why? And what does it mean? And and why is it that it it's so inimitable? So I, this has just been my tumble down the rabbit hole, I guess. That's a particular passage I keep falling down. I'll show you. Yeah, I, uh, I guess for me personally, like my tumble down the rabbit hole was definitely something I, I didn't expect. I never really, I mean, I had heard of Bitcoin many years ago and was like, oh, that sounds interesting, but never really gave it too much more thought. And the further down the rabbit hole I go, it seems like the further away I am from like conceptions in my kind of pre-Bitcoin life, um, it really does change you in, in a really, I'd say, dramatic, but also very healthy way, which I've really enjoyed. It's really made things uh, seem a bit more meaningful than they otherwise would. Um, and I would just be curious, like, kind of moving from your life like pre-Bitcoin into where you're working on Bitcoin full-time, how has that been? Like, I know Bitcoin community is growing, but, um, you know, we're still early. And I'd just be curious to hear, like, what that's been for you navigating, like, relationships in your life, maybe even, like, your relationship with yourself um, over time as you kind of move into this space. That's a cosmic question right there. So we're getting cosmic even before we get to talking about uh, the articles. Yeah. for me, moving into deciding to dedicate my time full time to Bitcoin was a big leap of faith because it wasn't that someone came around and offered me a job. I'd wanted to work in Bitcoin for years because I was so fascinated by it. And you know, there weren't any jobs in Bitcoin really, unless you could design an ASIC chip or wanted to work for a shitcoin exchange. But those were really, to me, ways to work against Bitcoin, not work for Bitcoin. So at one point, I just... Um, through caution to the wind, uh, shortly after the COVID crisis kind of ended <laughs> the thing I was doing before and said, 
you know what, I feel like if I take care of Bitcoin, Bitcoin will take care of me. And I just decided to start writing about Bitcoin. One thing led to another, and now I actually get paid to work in Bitcoin. So it's, um, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. But it is, it is a weird thing. Like people don't, most of my friends from my former life, to the extent that they're still friends anymore, as many Bitcoiners find out, um, there may be just long ago forgotten acquaintances, but, um, they don't really understand what the passion uh, for Bitcoin is. And, and for me in particular, as I've gone deeper and deeper into some of these things, touching on the edge of madness, I suppose, uh, people are, people in my life are worried that, uh, maybe I've gone insane. So, um, they'll, they'll just have to wait and see. And which hypothesis plays out and I was sane, or it doesn't play out. And I got too interested in that, in a particular topic flew too close to the sun, as they say. I mean, it's it's difficult to be someone who is thinking big about a paradigm shift in where the world can go because it's so counterintuitive to everyone else because everyone else is kind of operating on the old paradigm. So I, I feel like it's impossible to be right about Bitcoin and not crazy everyone else. Yeah. So that's how you know you might be right. If everyone think if everyone thinks you're sane, you're definitely not right about Bitcoin. But if they think you're crazy, you might still not be right about Bitcoin. But at least you got a, ch- a shot at it. CK, just a heads coming in a bit quiet there. Maybe your mic's getting covered up. I apologize. Uh, I'm not in the best recording environment. Tomer, uh, I wanted to jump in. Speaking of crazy ideas, one of the craziest ideas on Bitcoin is this idea of Bitcoin being this alien technology, a technology or even a technology from the future. Uh, you wrote an amazing piece where you investigate these ideas. Do you want to jump in? Yeah, this is this is maybe the most fun piece I've ever written. It's called "Why People Wonder If Bitcoin Is Alien Technology," and um, and it's it goes into five or six different things about Bitcoin that are unique to Bitcoin, like they're not true about anything else on Earth, and all four of them. Are, and so it's not like Bitcoin does one thing uniquely; it does a lot of things uniquely. So it's so different than anything else we've seen before. And the way that the technology gets utilized is so extraordinary that I think, and in my introduction to that piece, I say people who study Bitcoin get blown deeply, get blown away by these things. And at some point in time, they give their head a shake and they say like, how did this guy design this? Or who did, who designed this? Or was it even a person? And so you, you get these ideas like it, it, because it's so perfect and it's so well-designed and Satoshi wasn't in it for the money, clearly it, like. What's going on here? And so people get this gut feel like, oh, it's maybe, maybe it's alien technology. Maybe, maybe that's why it seems so alien to us. And, um, and so I wanted to actually explain, you know, technically these different things that I saw in my years of study of Bitcoin that I, that when I, when they first, I first understood them, they were like, holy cow, I've never heard of anything like that before. <laughs> and so that, um, that just is so different than the way else on earth. And I, I've written a couple of other kind of 
Zen-like, Zen of Bitcoin articles uh, since. There's one on this one blog called From the Void. But that's what I aim to do here. And people really enjoyed this one because it, it framed everything up. It explained the technology in easy speak, uh, understandable speak, and then said, but boy, I, even though I described an easy speak, doesn't sound pretty profound. Yeah, one, one quote from that summer that I really liked was, whoever created Bitcoin didn't just plan ahead a few decades. They planned ahead billions of years. They planned ahead for longer than mankind has been around, for longer than life on Earth has been around, for longer even than the Earth has been around. And for me, like this just really has struck me is just kind of the horizon that Bitcoin offers society is just so much larger than anything we could have imagined under fiat, which is really kind of this self-terminating system that has been shown to break down historically through time. And this is a, a bit cosmic, but just thinking about like what it means for people to come into relationship with infinity. Like this is something that I, I think people can't even comprehend as much as they try is like, what does forever really mean? Um, and, and Bitcoin is something that's built to self-replicate uh, for as, as long as it can. And, and that may be, who knows how long that could go on. But I think it's this idea of like not having this, this kind of end in sight that's really changed my perspective personally, like what it means to be yeah. playing this infinite game rather than this self-terminating game. Um, yeah. And I would just be like curious to pick your brain on like, what does that do from like an individual perspective to have this ability to not necessarily see this like, like with fiat, it's kind of deterministic. You know, this game is not built to last. Whereas with Bitcoin, who knows what's going to come? And it's kind of this idea of like, not operating in certainties and kind of operating in perhaps a more open-ended or, or perhaps, I mean, you could say like mystical idea of not knowing what the future may hold, but knowing that there is, there is an expanse before you. Yeah. Um, I give it my answer to you kind of like in a, in a fractal sense, like for one, fiat makes us, uh, live for the short term, right? Spend that money before it loses its value or at least invested in some risky things so that hopefully you make money on it. So gamble it or spend it uh, is what you end up having to do with fiat because it's hard to save it. Bitcoin initially just turns that view around. It says save your money. Um, and in that way, it saves the idea of money so that we can use it. But I've heard lots of people say, I used to think I would outlive money and I was terrifying. And so I didn't want to live past the age of 75 or 80 because that's where I saw myself running out of money. Then now I want to live to be as, as old as I can live to be because I think I have a future. So it changes the orientation of a human within their lifetime. Uh, and we and we see that. We see how many people now want to start building and having kids and having families. So that's an, an extraordinary thing, I think, to take it kind of one fractal abstraction higher than that. Because you can look Bitcoin, you can see, oh, this thing isn't just going to be here and valuable for my lifetime. It's going to be here for as long as anybody wants it to run. And that could be everybody on Earth for a million, a hundred million years. So it, one of the things I think it does is it again takes our, in the fiat world, we live for ourselves, like our individual self. And here it's like, oh, I'm a part of humanity and not humanity like the 7 billion people who live on Earth, but humanity, the 100 billion people who, in, which include the 7 billion people that live now, but the 93 billion who are going to live over the next seven generations. And what can I do as part of humanity? 
So I, I think it's a profound uh, perspective that having something, having a huge, a man-made thing that's going to last for that long is shocking, right? Like you would look at the ancient pyramids, uh, whether it's in Egypt or some of these others that they found all over the world that were built to last for thousands of years. Those civilizations saw themselves lasting for thousands of years. And that's why they built things that would last thousands of years, not things that would obsolete themselves within the next 18 months. And so again, we have, we have a shift in perspective in having something that's built to last. And Bitcoiners are the people who see that it's built to last, right? There, there's other people who see these, this thing of, oh, you know, we'll just wait for Bitcoin 2.0 to come out or Bitcoin 3.0 or something else is Bitcoin 2.0. And they don't realize this thing. It's like, this thing is built to serve the need that it's built to forever. Uh, if you took some time to study it, you would, you would realize that. The Bitcoin Magazine podcast is brought to you by CrowdHealth. With open enrollment upon us, what if you didn't have to pay healthcare premiums anymore? What if you can invest in Bitcoin instead? With CrowdHealth, you could choose your doctors, put aside money for your health expenses in your own account, and even hold a large part of it in Bitcoin. Pay one low monthly total to fund an account that is yours. If a large expense comes up, CrowdHealth will crowdfund the bill for you to pay quickly. Go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG and experience freedom from health insurance by utilizing Bitcoin. Right now, through the end of the year, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. Don't get stuck in a bad insurance plan again. Instead, go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG to sign up. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Tomer, I want to dig into this point a little bit more because it's something that's pretty cosmic about Bitcoin in and of itself is that it's not up like Bitcoin is upgradable as in like we continue to work on the software and up, but rules itself is kind of the whole purpose of it is like it's undisruptible, right? Like yeah. 21 million fixed supply money. Like it's something that it's almost like gravity doesn't get disrupted. Gravity doesn't get up. It's just a rule of nature. It's a way that things organize. That's not a feature that uh, people uh, are in tune with when it comes to technology. Yeah, I, I think that this is why it like, do we call Bitcoin technology? Because it's so different. Once again, it, it's a, maybe it's alien technology. Maybe that's because it's so different because it's, it's not made to be obsolete it's not engineered to be disposable to say, ah, we'll get around, we'll fix some, you know, there's something that doesn't work, we'll fix it in the next version or nobody's going to be using it for long anyways. You know, one of the points I make in the article is all, all the best human programmers back in the eighties and nineties, they didn't even set aside four digits for the year. So we had this big year 2000 crisis that created a lot of jobs for a lot of 
tech consultants because nobody had planned ahead 10 or 20 years. And then Bitcoin comes around and it really is built to last for infinity. There's a couple of, there's a couple of little things that'll need to be changed in the future, but they're really, they're really tiny, like the amount of space you leave for the block height or something like that. But the hashes and all, and the user IDs and all that kind of stuff, not user IDs, obviously, but private key space is so big. The address space is so big that there's, you know, we can each have trillions of Bitcoin addresses and, the, and there's, there's no, we're never going to run out of hashes to, uh, to be the pointers for the blocks so the, the blockchain data structure can exist basically to, to near infinity, or at least a two, two to 256 blocks or so. So it's just, it's extraordinary how built to last it is. How different from other tech it is. What other, what other elements about Bitcoin, uh, did you, uh, talk about being alien tech in the article? Okay. Well, so the, one of them is, um, how it's self-replicating and it self-replicates at each point on each person who touches it, right? Right. It's like, if you run a node, you have a perfect replica of everybody else's node. There's, there's nothing else in the world really that's man-made that's self-replicating. Like if we could make a 3D printer that easily printed another 3D printer, we'd be able to have an infinite number of 3D printers. And, but we don't, we haven't managed to build self-replicating technology. We're very familiar with the concept because life itself is self-replicating technology or it's, it's self-replicating phenomenon, self-replicating process. But the way that life duplicates itself is you have individual cells and the DNA within it has two identical strands or two mirror image strands and they separate from each other and then they rebuild each other. So, and if there's a mistake in one of them, you get what's called a mutation. Bitcoin is immutable because that's not how it self-replicates. It self-replicates by each node reaching out to multiple other nodes and getting perfect copies, which it, which it makes sure because it makes sure that the, all the other nodes have the exact same data bit for bit. And it checks everything with cryptographic function to make sure that the math checks out to make sure that even if all six of those other nodes that it got some piece of data from had, had the same mistake, it still wouldn't accept the mistake. So it's this perfect replication technology of all these different things talking to each other, replicating themselves across each other. And when you look at something like that, that's like, that's alien. That's, I could see an alien invasion fleet relying, replicating themselves in the in some, in something like that, not, um, just not anything you see in any other technology on earth, because no other technology on earth replicates itself and life thrives in part through its mutation. So this is some kind of immutable life, which, which wouldn't have evolved on our planet at least. So there's kind of, you know, there's one thing that's, um, that's really different about Bitcoin. I think, um, this everlasting notion was another one. Um, Part of the, you mentioned the upgrading thing, like Bitcoin is something that can be changed. And here it's again, something that you don't see every, every day, but only for the better. And what do I mean by that? Like you can't change Bitcoin for the worse, you can do it, but only for yourself. Nobody else is going to run the code, right? If you CK tomorrow said, I'm going to make uh, another hundred million Bitcoins because I can just change the code. It's like, go for it. Uh, but nobody else is going to run it. Uh, but if you came up with something that was an improvement and you were able to persuade everybody that it was an improvement, it would be possible to add it to Bitcoin because it works on consensus 
So we've got this, this invention that can only get better. We're, it's given to us and, um, and we can't make it worse, but we can make it better. This is pretty remarkable. Um, what, one of the other things that I thought was really, really amazing, and then maybe I'll, I'll let it go, but there was every other machine, really piece of technology requires maintenance. Like you have to maintain it or it falls apart. You have to oil it, you have to update it, you have to change parts, you have to do, you have to upgrade it. You have to, you have to do all these things. Um, and Bitcoin operates in a very volatile environment. Like it, it, it is under constant attack. It is, um, it gets, it consumes energy to grow, um, but it grows at a steady pace, no matter how much energy it gets. And this is the interesting thing about it. Bitcoin adjusts itself. Right? Like if, if you throw a hundred times as much energy in Bitcoin, Bitcoin will adjust itself to absorb a hundred times as much energy by the next difficulty adjustment. These things happen every two weeks. And if you sucked all the energy away from it, it would adjust itself to, um, to, to live off of the, the smaller amount of energy. If you came in and tried to adjust it, like if you said, oh, don't worry, the energy is lower, so I'm just going to lower your energy. That particular piece of Bitcoin, if you did that in one node, that node would die. It would it would splinter off the network and nobody would work on its chain anymore and it wouldn't know the state of the real chain. So Bitcoin is something that adjusts itself, maintains itself, and doesn't let any human being adjust it or maintain it. Again, very different from any technology we see on Earth. It's like it's got this defense system that says, don't touch me, Earthlings. I got it. I've got this under control. I'll deal with the energy, with the fluctuating energy. You mind your own business. Yeah, I really like I really like that idea of, of this kind of self-adjusting, self-regulating mechanism. And this kind of relates a little bit into your article about Bitcoin as a cybernetic brain. Um, and just to kind of tie these ideas together, I'll read a quote from Hayek where he's describing the market. And, and he says, in the language of modern cybernetics, the feedback mechanism secures the maintenance of a self-generating -gener order. It was this which Adam Smith saw and described as the operation of his hand. Um, and I think that there's... Uh, this is something I've heard some Bitcoiners talk about, but this application of cybernetics to the market and specifically to Bitcoin as this kind of self-maintaining, self-replicating system that operates kind of using homeostasis with, with the difficulty adjustment. Um, and I guess just to, to bring this forward to uh, how Bitcoin is like a giant cybernetic meta brain, um, for person, this is one of my, my favorite articles of yours, but um, I would just be super curious, like how you encountered the idea of cybernetics and then also... Um, you know, what your, your inspiration behind writing uh, that article was. Yeah. I came at it from the brain perspective first. I, the, the job that I had before I got into writing about Bitcoin was working for a company that part of what it taught was brain science. It taught, it taught the science of emotions, the science of emotional intelligence to largely uh, STEM-based audiences, so, so to audiences that didn't really particularly put a high value on emotion. So the way of teaching it to these people was to go to the brain science behind it. I learned a fair bit about brain science. And one of the things I learned was that brains are just large clusters of neurons and that a neuron basically is like a wire. Uh, it has, it has its own, um, it's little storage center in the middle, which is its DNA and its core and, and its information. But then it's, it's, it, it's a cell that has a wire that branches out with all these tentacles on it, which connect to other neurons. And, and the end that they connect to is the receptacle end. 
So your brain is just like all these neurons which have kind of a connections coming into them, connections going out to them, they form this mass web and somehow consciousness arises in this thing, right? Like each of these things, I'm oversimplifying it, but there's a little more detail in the article. Each of these things fires off an electrical signal, many firing they are out of sync with each other. And there's just, there's, a, there's an electrical field going on in your brain all the time, changing shape constantly as these different individual neurons make some kinds of decisions or have some kind of chemistry about whether they will fire, whether they won't fire, whether they'll connect to one another, whether they won't, whether they'll die, whether they'll spawn another one. And this electrical field going on in your head right now, as I say these words in your head, that's your consciousness. Your consciousness doesn't exist in a, like a single point in space. There isn't one neuron that's the conscious one or one neuron that's the master one. You've got this completely decentralized network of somewhat specialized, but mostly identical neurons. And somehow out of them, out of the billions of them that are in your head, you get an I, you say I, and you, and you synthesize the visual stimulation that you're getting, the, how, how that is objects in front of you, the audio information, how that's words, you're putting the words together with the video, the visuals, you're, you're getting a whole picture that's, that forms an I, but it's, it's the simultaneous work of all these different neurons. And that's, that's what kind of blows me away about how brains work. And I saw this and I was walking through the forest thinking about Bitcoin as I often do. And I, and I just saw this connection between Bitcoiners on Twitter. Like the DNA is the node we run and we each have it. And we have connections out to other neurons. Like it's like people are like neurons in, in Bitcoin. I have the connections that I reach out to. Those are my followers. So they want to receive some, but not all of my messages. This is exactly how neurons. They transmit to their followers, to the neurons that are connected to them. And sometimes the message goes through, it leaps over the, the synapse, the action potential fires and, and succeeds. And sometimes it misses. And then, and everyone has the people they follow, which are the connections into them. And that, that looks a lot like the structure of a brain frame, except we're replacing the individual brain cells with individual brains, with human beings in there. And the connection, the connective tissue is, um, is the, is the, the Twitter connections and all these other formats, all these other social networks work essentially exactly the same. So I said, wow, that same process exists. And Bitcoin is like a cybernetic metabrain in that, in that sense. And, and then I took, I stepped back from it and I looked and I said, yeah, you can see Bitcoin thinking. We, we, we watch how its story changes and how its awareness of itself changes over time because we're the part of it that's aware, like, we, and here's again, where I'm going to flip between the two articles. It's like, we're a part of Bitcoin. Bitcoin isn't some technology that we run. It's like we think about it. We can store Bitcoin in our head by memorizing words. We are dedicating more energy to it. We're building businesses around it. We're building mining facilities around it. It's, you know, we're working for its fruits. So we're in some kind of symbiosis with. Bitcoin. And in the sense, maybe we're a part of it, you've got gut bacteria and it lives inside of you. And if you didn't have these things living inside of you, you'd die. It's like, well, Bitcoin would die if it didn't have us living inside of it. Um, but it's nicer to live inside of it than out of it for those who, who get it. 
Sorry if I didn't exactly answer your question there. It was all, it's all tied together. So no, no, that was awesome. And I think that like one of the things I've been thinking about a bit is this idea of like you have individual cells in our bodies that are processing information and responding to environmental stimulus, but they can only really reach so far um, to their neighbors. And this kind of maybe relates to the Dunbar number in terms of economics is you can only really interact with so many people. And then what we do is we create this brain of ours and we share information to that and that creates a model of our entire body at once. So we can kind of perform computation and information processing um, across all of our connected you know, subcomponents. Um, and I think, yeah, this idea of looking at each of us as part of Bitcoin um, and kind of living in symbiosis with it is is a really interesting rabbit hole to go down. And um, it, and it kind of makes me think like, you know, what is, you know, the point of Bitcoin? Like, what is, what is it trying to optimize for? What is this, like, this goal that is in mind? I mean, I, I guess I'll definition of cybernetics and, um, you know, it's otherwise referred to as control theory, but it's, it's just the study of principles governing goal-directed systems that self-regulate via feedback. Um, and obviously the goal of Bitcoin is just to execute the protocol. Um, but do you see there being some type of maybe meta goal to all of this? Yeah. Like, it, yeah, yeah. Where, where, where would you take that? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, first of all, I, I'm going to use a different word. I, th I think Bitcoin's primary goal, it's, key top personal selfish goal is to survive, is survival. Like when you look at it, everything about Bitcoin's design seems to prioritize its survival, its ongoing survival over anything else. Um, it'll, it'll work on little uh, energy. It'll work on lots of energy. It can't be malleated. It can't be disrupted. It can't be mutated. It can't be corrupted. So it's, just, it's designed to, so its goal is to live um, and to continue. And, continue that process of, of living, which is it growing its time chain, blockchain, whatever you want to call it, growing itself uh, over time and becoming uh, bigger and stronger. Um, but that, the other thing that I was going to say is it clearly also has a bigger, a, a bigger something more there, this symbiotic relationship with individual humans and humanity as a whole, you know, so like if, if you said, what's the goal of a bee? And you might say the goal of a bee is to survive, but you might also say its bigger purpose is to help plants flourish and, and reproduce. And I think that's kind of Bitcoin's goal. It's, its goal is not only to survive, but to help humanity flourish. Yeah. And that, that just makes me think of like, if we have this other cybernetic brain, we might be able to compare Bitcoin to is like, what? what is the fiat brain like? It's like this highly centralized organism um, yeah. prone to capture. Uh, it doesn't really have as much like two-way, like two-directional feedback between right. this like, this super organism and its components. Like, how do you relate those two, like the, the Bitcoin brain versus the fiat brain? Yeah, I, I mean, if you think of what a fiat brain is, if you say that there is a central authority that issues orders, which is what fiat means, decree, it issues decrees, uh, just, but you could translate both those words mean the same thing, just issuing orders. Well, that's not how successful brains in, on this planet work. That's, that's some kind of like maybe the, the smallest functioning brain you could imagine in any creature like that really only has one brain cell because it's, it, it doesn't generate this decentralized focused area of electric impulses that, that is your consciousness. It's just got this 
thing that fires off. And you can see how unintelligent centralized organizations are, even the best of them. I remember when I was first studying business and investment, I heard this quote attributed to Warren Buffett, but I haven't been able to verify it. And, I, and so I don't know exactly where it comes from, but it's, it, was, it was something like, I only invest in companies that any idiot can run because eventually one will. And imagine, you know, if you could invest in what that person would have said about government uh, bureaucracies where they're granted a monopoly so they can, they can have as stupid a person running it as possible and it'll still go on because it just gets funded at the last minute by other stupid politicians. So um, the fiat brain is really, it's this, it's this like teeny tiny center of, experiment, of ideas where it has an idea and it forces the idea without getting other input, without getting real world feedback um, and misinformation just loops. Like it, it never, information and feedback never work their way back to the system. Whereas your whole brain, like there's no one neuron at the top. There's no starting point. The whole thing is just this internet, interconnected network um, that just keeps working. It's like the lightning net. It's literally like a lightning network. It's just electrical snaps that, that go in between it. So um, I just can't imagine like to calling set. Now, if, if you were just referring to the fiat brain as what's the well, that's what the governance mechanism of the World Bank is. And it's some guy says something and other people follow his orders, whether they think those orders make sense or not. And then other people follow their orders, whether they think those orders make sense or not. And, and the signal is ensured that it goes to everybody and that nobody misses it or, or someone is punished. That's not how our brains work. Our brains are, there's no one in charge. Messages go out. Some people receive some, some people don't receive others. Or some, you know, some people... Some neurons do and some don't receive others. And it works a heck of a lot better than something with only one brain cell, where it, one brain cell tries to do all the thinking. Yeah, and, and on that note, like I, I try to think of like the brain as kind of this, this, this system that creates um, models of reality and then receives life from the environment and then self-corrects its model to better represent that feedback from the environment. It's kind of like this predictive processing or, or like error minimizing function. And, and it just seems like if we can bring all of us in concert together to like maximize information throughput and network that together, we would just have a much greater fidelity and understanding of the world that we inhabit. And it seems like if you could think of like the myelin sheath in a neuron, like the casing that allows electrical impulses to travel down the body of the neuron, um, it seems like the fiat brain would have just like a, a decrepit myelin sheath as like on Bitcoin, it's something that like can't be corrupted and it grows thicker with every single block that passes through the, the kind of the, the integrity yeah. of this impulse is like always improving. So it just seems like over time, we're becoming more and more intelligent as we maintain and, and grow this system. I think that's what's special about Bitcoin. Like you, you can, if you study the history of Bitcoin and what was written about Bitcoin, so how much knowledge the world had about Bitcoin. There's the intelligence of it keeps, keeps growing in leaps and bounds. First in the sheer quantity of what's known, manners in which it's represented. Um, and, and then the number of people who know this much, right? And you just see it growing. It's like back in 2012, a few hundred people knew, or 2011, like a few hundred people knew about Bitcoin, had used it. 
and nobody really understood how it, how much of it worked at all, except for maybe a handful, a handful of people. And you fast forward that to today, and there's millions of people who are interested, hundreds of thousands who've read books on it, hundreds of books written about it, so much in-depth analysis and so many different ways about it, that it is this growing, healthy brain that's adding shells to it and, 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 and comparing it to, as, as, as you've asked a couple of times, what a fiat brain might look like. And like, I don't think we, we have a model in reality of what a fiat brain looks like, which is interesting because it shows that it doesn't survive the test of evolution, but something where like one brain cell issues an order to all the other brain cells, whether it's one to many or one to many to many to many, that's not a structure that we see in intelligent entities. Um, that's just where I keep ending up. I don't know when I try to think about what a fiat brain might look like. Yeah, I mean, a lot of like It wouldn't even be about... decrepit, it would be dead, right? But evolution tried it and failed, I'm sure, many times. Sorry, I didn't mean to speak over you, CK. No, absolutely not. This, uh, this is your stage, Tomer, so happy to, uh, to have your thoughts here. A lot of times I, I think about, you know, Humans use a lot of different mental operating systems to like make sense of the world and and uh, and communicate and organize amongst ourselves. And one of those operating systems is money. So it's been interesting, kind of like hearing about the cybernetic fiat brain versus the cybernetic Bitcoin brain. And then you know, for me, zooming zooming into each individual and being like, how you know. We can use Bitcoin just by using it as a measure, you know, a measure for value and to like think in Bitcoin. Uh, and the more and more each individual human kind of like flips to a Bitcoin operating system, uh, the more, uh, you know, the world kind of moves in that direction. So I think it's really interesting how the, the operating system and the brain analogy kind of goes both ways, you know, from an individual perspective all the way to like the this uh, this meta brain that that you talked about. Um, before we jump back to you, though, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Want to encourage everyone listening uh, to share the show. Uh, you know, smash retweet on this if you are enjoying the content. Uh, follow Tomer. You can just click in on his image and follow him. He is an awesome creator in the space. Uh, and go to the Bitcoin conference. Uh, we're putting on the biggest event in Bitcoin. Bitcoin 2023 next May, May 18th through the 20th. A lot of the amazing Bitcoiners we bring onto this show will be speaking there. Uh, and if you are an open source contributor to a ton of our favorite Bitcoin projects, you can get a free ticket. So, uh, check out our open source contributor ticket program. We're happy to, uh, to bring open source contributors and say thank you for building the Bitcoin ecosystem directly. Uh, Spencer, want to go back to you. Yeah, thanks, UK. So, yeah, I, I think something I think I've heard you talk a bit about, Tomer, is kind of Bitcoin as a mirror or a, a means of understanding ourselves and our values and having kind of this, like, this economic system that is a true representation of the state of things. Um, and I also think about kind of like what are conscious beings in the world? And, and it seems to me that we are like information trying to understand itself. Um, and I, I would love to hear your thoughts on like how Bitcoin can kind of improve our ability to perceive what it is we value um, and 
yeah, I guess like if we're thinking of Bitcoin as like this error minimization function um, where we're allocating resources, getting feedback from the environment and trying to create a more, I guess, adaptive response to those conditions and to understand the causes of them. Like, do you feel as though this is giving people a better insight into like their place in the world and maybe the okay. universe as a whole like how do can you i guess yeah. overarchingly i'm just curious like does this relate to this experience of consciousness to you in any way this this mechanism man you you just have some really deep questions and offered some really deep insights actually <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna go and listen to the the playback because you said at the beginning you said like consciousness is like um information trying to reason about itself or trying to understand itself and then I, sometimes I have these cosmic thoughts like that's the universe is trying to think about itself. Like in the same way, my finger doesn't think about me, but it's a part of me. And I know it's a part of me. Well, you know, the planet Jupiter might not think, but it's a part of the universe. And I know it's a part of the universe and I'm a part of the universe. So the universe is aware of its existence in each and every one of us. And it's aware of parts of it that might not be conscious. And it's like our consciousness is reaching out trying to understand the universe and we're part of the universe trying to understand the universe. So the universe is trying to understand itself. And now let me bring it back to Bitcoin. Uh, and, and just to try to, uh, if you don't mind uh, jolting me along on the various steps of your question, cause it was, it had a second part and I don't want to skip to the third or fourth part. I mean, I, I think it's like one thing I think about is the difficulty adjustment every two weeks, Bitcoin adjusts yeah. its yeah. difficulty and it, kind of is trying to minimize the error with which it interacts with the environment by adjusting itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't really have a great way of yeah. putting this out there, but I, I would just love to think about like how you think about people getting information about themselves and like kind of, it seems like this idea of like self-information or error minimization is like very distinctly tied into Bitcoin as well. Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that this is true about everybody, but I, I know a lot of Bitcoiners and I include myself in and amongst them are constantly trying to judge themselves, judge their life and making decisions to make things better, to try to understand what is better and then to experiment with making things better. There's some wacky ideas that we have about diet or exercise or a number of different things and some very good ideas that we have, but there's this focus on error minimization. And like, and I think, I think you've seen it. Like if I take the diet thing, right? We went like, oh, you know, eating too much carbs is bad. Let's eat only carnivorous foods. He's like, well, eating only carnivory is maybe a little extreme. There's balance to be had here. But this, that's a very uh, crude form of this error minimization or move towards improvement that, um, that is the way that human beings look at it. And I think that this, phenomenon that you're describing is maybe just inspired by Bitcoin because you look at it and you say, wow, this thing keeps, it just keeps, it keeps a steadiness and it keeps getting better and it doesn't get worse. That's something to aspire to. And you see a lot of uh, virtuous features in Satoshi and the way that he launched it first to have all the ideas and then to do it rather get as a gift to humanity rather than to become the next richest man in the world and the most powerful this or that or the other. So there's a big inspiration that comes out of Bitcoin. 
to individuals and to groups to say, how do we, how do we live up to the virtue and the integrity that we see in, in the invention and the inventor of Bitcoin and how that all works. So I, I take it a little bit broader. And when, and when I first heard you asking your questions, I, I was thinking if you were coming at this a lot from, well, the economics of it, you know, human beings, would, when economists look at, at us, they say, oh, they try to maximize a utility function by minimizing, you know, maximizing return on investment and not, they have equations to describe all of these things, but there's that kind of dehumanizes, or I shouldn't say kind of, that does dehumanize the actual process of living for the sake of producing things we value and give us joy. And those aren't, and those don't all have measurements in money, which is what economists look for. So I think Bitcoin is kind of showing us as well that, and this is what's remarkable with the fact that it's technology, it's showing us more how to be human than any other social science has before, especially economics, and it's doing it by being high integrity technology. It's not, it's doing that for me. Really well said. And I think that one of the things I keep coming back to is like this idea of Bitcoin as liberating individuals to act uh, in the way that they see fit. And it, this idea of like, it's almost like a radical freedom that we really hadn't had before in this modern age of people having the freedom to decide what it is they truly value um, and kind of being like, you know, unlocking their ability to be creative rather than reactive to kind of these impositions from a central authority. And this kind of relates to your piece, uh, The Lesson of the Golden Teacher. Um, and I would love for you to, to kind of explain a little bit about it. But first, I would just be curious as to, like, how do I praise this? Like, I think of, like, you know, freedom is, is truly priceless. And, and maybe that might explain why we think of Bitcoin as infinity over 21 million. Um, it, it's like, how valuable is it really to for people to have full agency? Um, and I, I just is perhaps there's not a question there, but that's um, just what I think about is like no, what there, is the, what is the is, price of freedom? Yeah, what's so profound about Bitcoin is it gives you total choice over what you can do. You can, let, you can face reality and run the protocol as everybody else is running it, or you don't have to. You don't have to run it at all, or you can run a fork, a fork of it. But even at the very outset to use it. You have to choose to use it. So responsibility comes with it. And then you have to choose to use it right, which means self-custody, which means taking responsibility. And then you get to choose whatever it is that you want to do with your money, which we're just figuring out right now. So it, in a fiat world, it's easy to follow orders. It's easy to not exercise your agency. And that's why so many of us become robots. In a Bitcoin world, I guess, offer fiat solutions and say, don't worry, just do what we tell you and everything will be fine. But that's really not how Bitcoin is meant to be used. And if you use it properly, yeah, well, this isn't like how you spend it. Because like, if you want to use Bitcoin, you have to generate entropy to get secure private keys. You have to run a node. You have to create your wallet on it. You have to get some, you have to earn it or buy it somehow, get someone to send it to you. And then you have to not lose your keys um, or, or disclose them. So there's like responsibility, there's exercise of agency, there's just all these things come, come with it rather than, don't worry, we'll bail you out of That's, which is the fiat mindset it, while, while we rob you. Yeah, I think that, that, that paradox of like freedom through responsibility is something that 
I really enjoy kind of grappling with. And uh, to, to kind of bring this to your article, The Lesson of the Golden Teacher, um, it, in this piece, you kind of talk about this, this teacher who visits a, a lecture hall and they arrive to give this lesson. And the entire time, this teacher simply looks at the audience members and really forces them to think of what it is um, and, ex and express themselves as to like what uh, questions they, they have or even just express their individual ideas. And that's kind of like one of the, the biggest lessons I think Bitcoin can teach us all is like if you have the freedom to express your economic worldview uh, without the imposition of other people, like what is it that we actually want to express? And for a lot of people, it's uh, kind of like a liberating or almost foreign concept when you have this radical freedom. Um, so I would first of all, just love for you to kind of walk us through like the lesson of the golden teacher, what the inspiration uh, was behind that. Tomer, you're on uh, mute. I'm not sure if you're chatting right now. Sorry. Yeah, thanks. Hey, thanks. I, I hadn't started with a particularly great answer. I was m messing up my words. So it was lucky that I was on mute. How does um, that work out then? It's yeah. No, look, um, I, this story, uh, it was a bit of a hallucination. And it came to me just uh, hallucinating a teacher, a very wise teacher walking in. And I was like all eager to learn everything he had to say. And he said nothing. And it let me see, he doesn't have the answers for me. The answers are all inside of me. And what, what and I, I hear I, I was going to ask this teacher, like, what do I, what should I do? What do I want to be? And of course, nobody can answer. What do I want to be for you? So he just, in his wisdom, remained very, very silent. And it made me ask the question, what do I want to be? And again, I think that, um, well, and, and so, so I dramatized this. Uh, into imagining escalating stories of this. Uh, there, there would be a teacher in a lecture hall filled with all the smartest people at the university. And one by one, they would have this insight, some without saying a word and, and others with saying more and more. And it just as this cascade, as this dominoes through the lecture hall, this phenomenon, um, people describe it in more and more concrete details and more and more personal details until until we're left with the final lesson of the, of the golden teachers. You know, I don't know if you want me to spoil, um, the whole thing, but, um, but it's that, so it was, it was a, a writing exercise for myself to see how nicely I could make a story out of this realization that the big, that there's a big lesson in not listening to what other people say, but in looking deep within and saying, and answering for yourself truthfully, what you really want. Yeah, when you were talking about that, it really just reminded me of the experience of trying to orange pill someone like you can tell them what you know about Bitcoin, but really the only way for them to adopt Bitcoin or come to the conclusion that it is a certain type of technology is for them to kind of think for themselves and experience and uh, they can't really intellectualize it. Um, and it really is kind of this experiential learning process of like becoming a Bitcoiner. Um, and, and I think of that idea of like becoming as being very important for like the development of individuals um, and, and something I may have just mentioned this, but you say it's, it's a lesson that insists to be presented live, never recorded. Um, and mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty profound and kind of this experience of what it what it means to really understand Bitcoin. Like you can't be told it. You have to realize for yourself. Um, and I, I think that was just like a profound insight you had there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, what what exactly is it that we're saying here? It's Bitcoin. To be a Bitcoiner 
really is to be a Bitcoiner. It's not to, it's not to say to know Bitcoin, right? Um, it's, it, it's to have embraced what it means and without really knowing what it means, because we're still discovering what it means. So there is, there is something spiritual, some kind of leap of faith there uh, that happens, but it's an experience, right? It's a live living experience. You don't experience Bitcoin by watching a movie about Bitcoin. You live in the movie. You buy some Bitcoin and you watch the price go up and down. You freak out when you think you've lost the private keys. Like the excitement and drama in Bitcoin is personally experienced. It's not what happened to somebody else. It's what's happening to you. Yeah, now this may be reading a bit too much into like the lesson of golden future, um, but I kind of saw it as just like a metaphor for psilocybin cubensis or, or psilocybin, um, kind of this, like the way you described the way the teacher looked. And um, I know there's been plenty of parallels uh, kind of brought between the like psychedelia and, and Bitcoin, um, but I'd be curious if you have any, any thoughts to share on just like kind of this idea of realizing that we're, you know, in the psychedelic experience, realizing that we're part of a group whole. Uh, and we may even contain, you know, the whole within us at the same time in a, in a strange paradoxical sense. But I'd be curious if you have any, any thoughts to share on maybe parallels between the two. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, th this particular story is not about Bitcoin in particular. We've, we've, we've aligned it to Bitcoin, but it is, it, it is about anyone. And, and there's no mention of Bitcoin in the story and none of the characters in it are studying Bitcoin. They're all university professors or, or students. Um, but the connection to psychedelics is, as I mentioned, I mean, this story, this story is named the lesson of the golden teacher. There's a particular variety of, uh, psilocybin mushroom called the golden teacher and it, and the golden teacher literally happened to walk into the room for me. So you can imagine where the story comes from. Um, and, uh, I had forgotten if you had another part of your question. I, I do think that, um, well. I don't know what else I think. <laughs> I, I, think I, I think I've answered your question and I'm just trying to find words. Yeah, no, that, that's quite all right. And it was pretty open-ended. Um, and yeah, I guess I would just be curious, like, is there anything you've been working on lately? Um, I know, like, personally, I was really inspired by Coinage Generational Wealth, um, yeah. the short movie that you helped put together. Um, and I think that medium suits you quite well, but I would just be curious, like, are there any rabbit holes that you found? I was going to bring that up too. Awesome. Yeah. Just curious like what other, what other rabbit holes yeah. uh, you found inspiring two, lately? So two other things, one thing you, one thing you're going to get to experience reasonably soon. And one thing you might have to wait a little bit for, but there'll be teasers for it. Um, so the team that I worked on Bitcoin is generational wealth. I've worked on another film with them. Uh, it's, it's shorter. It's only five and a half minutes long, It's very different in style, but I think it's going to be interesting and it's kind of ready to go. I think, I think Swan's going to release it pretty early in the new year first few weeks of January and it's called, uh, Bitcoin is beautiful. And so it's, uh, well, you'll, you'll see, hopefully you'll all see it when it comes out and, uh, and it's, it's a nice piece and it's really about beauty and how Bitcoin connects to organic life and everything else. The other thing is, um, the most ambitious thing I've ever worked on in my life and the most exciting thing I, I've ever worked on so far, um, which we are calling Satoshi, the cyber opera. And this is like a full stage production with 21 original songs, with lighting, ultimately with performers and graphics and, and the music. And it's an attempt to reach out again, not for, this, this is not just for Bitcoiners. This will be really 
beautiful music and visuals and a dramatic story that anyone in the world would watch and get something out of. Bitcoiners will get something slightly more out of it for the same reason that historians might get something more out of watching uh, Hamilton. Uh, but it's, it's, and it's intended to tell the potential story. It's not the true story because it's made up of, um, of how Satoshi got to be. He's not an alien in this one. I won't spoil it. He's, but he's maybe not a he. He, he may be multiple people uh, or maybe two people. I, if there's any possibility here. But what would, what would the life be of someone who could actually have the skill or some team that could actually have the skill to pull off Bitcoin, not just to create the technology, but to protect their identity beforehand and to promote the technology and to have the integrity to disappear and the motivation to disappear without spending any of the money or the power, like what's going on there? And so that, that, that's, um, that's what a, a large team is working on. And I've been working mostly on the story of it, but we've got beautiful art coming together and amazing energy and the music. And it's far from all written. So like we're early days here, but already what we're getting from the lyrics and just intensity is so exciting. So I think this will be amazing for Bitcoiners. And I hope it'll also orange pill a lot of people through this strange story. And they'll want to know, well, what's the true story of Satoshi? And nobody knows. Well, what's the true story of Bitcoin? And it's like, oh, let me tell you. And that I know. So uh, it's a bit of an orange pill thing, but it's just, a, it's, a, it's, a pa it's a work of passion and calling for everyone who's involved in it. Also, I cannot wait to watch that. That sounds amazing. And, and I think that's something that really caught my eye about your work is it's not simply explaining Bitcoin. And while you do go into some of the technical aspects of it, it's like understanding what emotions Bitcoin develops in people and kind of creating that emotive experience uh, in, in the form of poetry specifically. Um, and I, I'd be curious, like, is poetry something you did previously or, or was that something you developed as as you fell down down the rabbit hole? It's sure, you know, I've written some joke poetry and I was forced, I think, in grade eight to recite and memorize poetry. And then it never clicked for me. And I wouldn't even really say that I've written, I've written stuff in prose. I've written like short stanza type things, but not right, not with proper rhyme or meter. But I find that when you're presenting something in text and you take liberty with line breaks and positioning to, for dramatic effect and impact, which many people see as a form of poetry, it becomes much, language becomes even much more powerful than how you and I are communicating right now, because there is this emphasis in the same way you're slicing away unnecessary words and leaving, you're leaving the distilled purity of the message in there, um, which, which I think creates a different impact. It's like a different form of writing. I've, I've tried that a few times and it's, and, and I like doing it. I know people enjoy reading stuff like that. Yeah. And for me, I'll just say like your writing resonated with me in that it, it was often very uplifting and like, especially during the depths of this bear market, there's a lot of doomerism around there about the Fed raising rates or, you know, weakening real economy. Um, and I think like when I read your work, I can kind of, you know, leave all that behind and really just kind of revel in kind of the the uplifting aspects of Bitcoin. And that's specifically why I was looking forward to chat, chatting with you today. It's like moving beyond that step to kind of maybe some of the more existential or, or meaningful questions out there rather than, you know, number go up, number go down. Yeah. Um, so I, I just want to say like, thanks for for like filling that niche in, in this space. I think it's something that's uh, sorely needed. And, and I hope that like Bitcoin can also just fill this 
this void. I know Fiat, uh, Safe Dean talks about like fiat art. Um, and I don't know, it just, it seems that there is this like mode of expression that Bitcoin is engendering in people that is, that is hopeful um, and beautiful as well. So I, I hope that people can follow your lead and, and try to bring more of that into the world. Well, thank you so much. That's so kind. And I'm, I'm so glad you get that feeling from it because that, that is, you know, I don't write at all about the price of Bitcoin and whether I think it's going to go up or down. I, tr I try to write about Bitcoin in ways that'll make people feel better about it and understand it and see the potential in it. So I'm, I'm really glad that it had that, that impact for you because that's, that's what I've been trying to do. And so that's really uplifting to hear in return. I mean, I think that that's a big part of uh, this show, just Cosmic Bitcoin, which is uh, trying to understand how much bigger the implications of Bitcoin are and kind of get away from like the squabbling about the small stuff. Um, it, if this system works, if humanity adopts this to be uh, the substrate for value transfer and communication, uh, given its parameters, um, it's like, we can't even start to fathom, you know, the value that it will hold, but you know, how far we can go now that we have a sound money system that, uh, theoretically, you know, it, it is, uh, uncorruptible and, uh, it's just information. So it can, it doesn't have any of the, any of the issues of previous systems. Um, so it just, it, it's such a, a big concept and, uh, it needs a lot of people to kind of continue to explain and imagine it. Yeah. We're never going to run out of stuff to say about it because it's Because as it grows, it, it intertwines with how it changes civilization. And then we observe this whole new layer of civilization emerging. Wow. And we're just at the earliest, earliest stages of it. It's so early. Yeah, and I, something I think about is is like people value things that are good, and if we want to communicate that to other people, we need a means by which to do that. And and currently, I mean, uh, in in fiat land, kind of that message of what we value as good is we get this like emergent complex of, of these things that many would argue are are categorically bad. Um, and I, I I hope to think that Bitcoin is going to let us express our values and really converge upon like a better world. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the hopeful thing for me when I interact with Bitcoin is like, this is something built to last and it helps us actually, you know, realize our values in the world, which um, arguably we haven't really been able to do at scale before. So yeah, I just see Bitcoin as being like fundamentally a good thing, um, which is, you know, interacting with that every day definitely can, can change your perspective. Um, and yeah, I guess, Tomer, I, I would just kind of leave the floor open to you if you have uh, anything else you want to shill or or any thoughts that you're chewing on lately, um, the floor is yours, man. Oh, thanks. I mean, I, I think we've gotten to so many good ones here. So I don't want to, I don't want to go, uh, too cosmic yet. Let's save let's save some stuff for, for the future. I mean, this was a great conversation. It was a real pleasure uh, meeting you, Spencer. And I, and I would say, I want to go and listen back. Cause I think there was, there were things that you were asking in your questions that are a lot of food for thought. So I may, I may spend some more time thinking about it, but maybe I guess just the last thing that I would noodle around is one of the, these little things that Bitcoiners argue about is whether we should drop parallels to like it's digital gold or it's alien technology or it's a cybernetic metabrain or something like that. And, um, 
And there are other people who say, oh, just try to explain it for what it is. And part of what I've found is if you can, like most people know something well, and if you can start at the thing that they know well and draw the connections and the maps back to Bitcoin appropriately without breaking the metaphor or, or the analogy or, or just being too silly about it, they can start to see how Bitcoin is different from something that they understand. And now they can understand because it's like a mirror now that's distorting things. Oh, it's like it in this way, but not like it in those ways. So, so here's how it's different. And that's how you kind of understand things. Understand a ball is different from a cube because a ball rolls and it's round and the cube is straight edged. And so you, 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 you get these contrasts between things. So I think it's very useful to contrast based Bitcoin where I was going with this against something that people understand, as opposed to against the Federal Reserve System, which nobody understands. Like, Sabadeen understood Bitcoin long before he understood the fiat system. He had to do so much research for his second book, The Fiat Standard, and he kind of now has an understanding of it. I don't claim to understand either of these things perfectly, but at least Bitcoin, I can try to understand. The fiat system is a wacky system that, with a weird history that's hidden and not well documented. It's just nuts, right? So. When you're talking to people, try to, uh, try to see what they understand. And it's often useful to go to subjects that were taught in school reasonably well because they were, because people understand it. So I, I'm working on an article right now, um, about how Bitcoin is different from the U S government in terms of separation of powers. Like we have the legislative, the executive, the judicial branches. And Bitcoin changes every one of these things. But when you start for the rationale for the original division of powers and, and then you point out the differences and why it failed and all this kind of stuff, you're talking to somebody about something that they understand and comparing Bitcoin to that rather than saying, well, the chairman meet in Bretton Woods and they do this and that, you know, I'm probably talking too long already, but I think you may, I may have made my point twice already. Sorry to shut. All right, y'all. Well, Tomer, uh, I, I I loved all your points. Uh, it was a great conversation. I'm going to have to listen back. Spencer, great job as well. Um, really led the conversation well. Um, we I think we were going to have some folks up to uh, ask questions from the stage, but I'm getting the signal that uh, we should probably wrap it. We've been going for over 70 minutes here. Tomer, uh, we're going to have to get you back on the show, so have no fear. There'll be more opportunity, and we'll save some more time for uh, crap, uh, questions from uh, from the listeners. But, um, Tomer, thank you so much for joining the show. Y'all, this show is called Bitcoin. We are here to talk about the big ideas in Bitcoin with big thinkers in Bitcoin. Uh, I'm CK, GM at Bitcoin Magazine. I'm here with spencer nichols who does marketing and kind of amazing stuff over bitcoin magazine doing great amazing content um give us follows we are getting back next week actually on thursday instead of wednesday but we're normally coming every wednesday 3 p.m pacific 6 p.m eastern uh and we are going to be bringing on other awesome guests similar to tomer no one like Tomer, obviously, one of a million, one of a kind, but um, we'll be bringing on awesome big thinkers as well. And a reminder, you can meet us all in person at the Bitcoin conference. So don't forget to get your tickets. We have a program that's ending at the end of the year, NYE 
15 for 15% off. So get your tickets now. It's going to be an incredible gathering. Come celebrate the end of Bitcoin winter, as we've been saying it. It's warming up in Miami. May 18th. It's going to be a great Tomer, excited to see you there in Miami. Thanks again for coming on. And to everyone here, subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine. See you in Miami first. Peace. Thanks, CK. See you all in Miami. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. Bitcoin is for everyone. Lefties, righties, and rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin Magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naya Bukele, Jeff Deist, Beautyon, Natalie Smolensky, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy at your local Barnes & Noble's bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at store.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at Bitcoin Magazine Pro. Dot com.